Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 17 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Anna, founder of Vmora, a fashion business and production consulting company that works one-on-one with independent designers. In the interview, Anna shares where many designers waste money that has little to no return, why you should look at your first round of production as a test, and why staying specific and niche with your idea is better than trying to please everybody. I would say the common mistake I see designers is they'll have an idea, but then they water it down because they're trying to please too many people. So the tighter the audience you can you can hone in on, because that person will be your customer and they'll be your customer forever. Before we jump into the interview, I have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoy this episode, you can help me get bigger name guests on the show by leaving a rating on iTunes. With more ratings and reviews, it gives the show leverage in convincing higher value guests to do interviews, which brings you even more valuable content. It only takes 60 seconds and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating. And as always, thanks for your support and help. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 17. Now, on to the interview with Anna. So, I'd love to have you introduce yourself and tell everybody about your business and everything that you guys do. Sure. Um, I'm Anna Livermore, and I'm owner of Vmora. And at Vmora, we work with designers in the production process of launching their clothing line. We also help with sales and marketing. So, basically, anything that they need to be as successful as possible. We do patterns and samples. We source fabrics, tech packs. We help manage production. And then we set them up for sales and marketing. Awesome. And so, like, what stage would someone be at when they would come to you for help? We work with designers in all stages. So if they're brand, brand new and they haven't done anything, we can help set them up, you know, even doing a design and edit and put together their designs that are going to be you know, that we have experience in, it, in the industry, so we'll know what sells best and what they'll need in the collection, how many pieces to do. Or they can come to us when they already have designs. They can come to us when they've already done a few seasons of production and they're looking to be more cost-effective. They can come to us when they have a full run of production they're looking to sell and market and get into boutiques or they need help with social media. So we work with brands on all levels. We just in and figure out how we can make the system as efficient as possible. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'd love to kind of dive in a little bit to the true realities of um, having your own brand, whether it be launching for Mm -hmm. the first time or whether it be, you know, like you said, you're in your third season and you're, you're trying to be more efficient or trying to get into more retail outlets. And 
because um, I think some of it can come off really glamorous on the surface. And then when you really look behind yeah. the scenes, <laughs> it's a whole different animal. And so, um, you know, I'd love to know, like, in general, where do you find most designers seem to get stuck? What are some of the biggest challenges to overcome? I would say it depends. We have, when you think of designer, you think of someone creative. So if it's somebody with that, background, I would say the biggest downfall for them is not doing their budgeting, their costing, and their timeline, and thinking, I have a great product, and once I make it, it's going to sell itself. So I think that that is a common misconception. Uh, you have to have, your it's a business. At the end of the day, it's a business. So you have to have your budgeting all the way through. You've got to have your costing on your garment right so that you're profitable. And you've got to be launching on schedule that people are buying. So those are all really important things to think about if you're really creative. So, you know, at Vimora, we have a class just around those three things, timeline, costing, budgeting. And I say always getting those things in order. I know it's not the fun part, but it's, it's, it's very empowering to know I can spend a thousand dollars on fabric this season because that's what's in my budget. Mm -hmm. I can spend three grand on my website because that's what's in my budget. You know, if you have an amazing design, but you run out of money, there's nothing you can do. So just being mindful and, and planning out, you know, I'm not huge on like planning out every single step of the way, like you're going to launch and you're going to find out, who your actual client is, what sizes they're selling. There's no way to predict that 100%. But there are some things that you can plan for that'll just help you be more successful. And then we have the people that come from the business background that kind of underestimate what it's like working with pattern makers and sample makers and having things sourced. It's, it's more difficult to source a fabric than people generally think, so they don't normally give themselves enough time. So there's, there's quite a few different things to think about when launching a clothing line and I say just like spending the time and doing the research and putting together a plan and and just asking people and working with people that have experience makes a huge difference um you save a lot of time and money uh you can do it on your own um but you want to give yourself enough time to kind of figure all this stuff out as you go along yeah and so to kind of talking about like from the creative person's perspective, the timeline, the costing and the budgeting. I mean, those are all things mm -hmm. that, yeah, I think, like you said, it can be scary to really look at that. And it's hard to think about, okay, this is how much money I have to spend and how can I budget it? But then once you've done that, I love that word you use. You said it's a really empowering to say, I know yeah. I have this much to put into that. And so, um, you know, like, this is probably going to be a really hard question to answer. So maybe you could just give a ballpark and then talk a little bit more about like um, some of the variables that may go into this. But like, let's say I'm a designer and I come to you and I'm like, I have this idea for a three piece collection, let's say mid range in terms of complexity types of garments. Like it's not a simple tank top, but it's not yeah. a complex outerwear. You know, what am I really looking for in terms of budget to go through sampling, protos, uh, pattern making, like all the development to where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to place my first production order. So getting from kind of zero to ready to go into production. This is honestly the, one of the number one questions I get 
And it is next to impossible for me to give a blanket statement for that Mm -hmm. uh, because it's it's so different. You know, you could be using silks, you could be using cottons, you could be doing a 50-piece production run, you could be a 1,000-piece production run, you could be doing patterns and samples on your own, you could be hiring a pattern and sample maker, you could spend $1,000 on a website, you could spend $10,000 on a website. So that's why I say it's really important to just sit down with somebody like myself and we can run you through all of these numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually like between two things, like how much money do you have? Let's say you have $10,000. Okay. Well, this is what you can do for the $10,000 or backwards. Like you've got unlimited funds. Okay. Well, this is a smart place to spend those, those funds. So mm-hmm. it's so hard to give a, a blanketed number, but it does cost money. Sure. That's the one thing. Like, you, you can't start a collection with $500. Yeah. Um, it does cost money to do. You want to spend, especially your first season, because you want to spend the time and money on having really great patterns. And there's no easy way to make a pattern. You can't make a pattern in 20 minutes. <laughs> it, takes, it takes 8 to 10 hours to make a pattern, and then you do a fitting, and then you do alterations. Like, there's no quick and easy way to do that. But once you have those patterns, you use those as blocks for the next season. So you won't have to start from scratch. So the initial overhead that first season is is a lot higher than it is ever, ever again. But it's so important to have those patterns done properly because if it doesn't fit, it doesn't sell. I don't care if you spent 30 hours hand beating the entire garment. If it doesn't fit, it, it won't sell. Yeah. So it's it's hard to say but i would say if you estimate anywhere from 3 to 5000 dollars per style um and that would get you like a to the sample phase doing one of every size getting your production ready it's generally but it's still hard to say right i obviously, don't know yeah obviously it doesn't <laughs> include the actual production but just the prepping to get to the point where you're like okay now i'm ready i may only be ordering 50 i may be ordering 5000 um, but yeah. just as a range. Okay. Yeah. I would say from three to 5,000 per style, because in that you have to think you need your pattern. You need your fitting. You need your fit model. You need pattern alterations. You need your sample fabric. You need your final sample sewn. You need your pattern digitized. You need your pattern graded into the other sizes. And then you need to find manufacturer, manufacturer quotes. And then you have to have that factory do one of every size for you mm-hmm. before you're ready for production. So right, right there, that's 11 steps. So. Yeah. And I love, like you mentioned all the different various samples and then obviously the size range, which is where you get one of every size mm-hmm. made up before you go into production. Um, because yeah. I, <laughs> and something I, that's a step they always want to skip. And I like, know. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> but I love that you reiterate all of that. And it's like you said a minute ago, you're building this foundation and yes, it's a little bit of expense. Yeah. Well, maybe not even a little bit. It's a lot of bit of expense up front, but the extra expense that you're going to spend building this foundation is going to pay off tenfold mm-hmm. in the long run because, like you said, if your product doesn't fit, no one's going to buy it, or they're going to buy it and it's going to get returned, and you'll and it can be right. hard to recover from that type of a situation. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, even worse if you if you didn't do that size check run and all your sizes come back and something went wrong in the grading, you you're sitting on an entire production that you can't sell. Yeah. And that's like death to a new designer because it's so important where you spend all your money. And usually they're putting 80% of their budget into that 
first production and they don't have enough money to do it over. Yeah. So it's just so important to, to take the right steps and make sure that it's, it's done properly that first time. So speaking of all this money, where are you, where do you find that most designers are getting the funds to, to do their first collection, to get things kind of off the ground? Mm -hmm. I would say most designers are self-funded. It's money that they've put away or they're saving or, um, yeah, they're mostly self-funded. It's very hard to find an investor for that initial seed money because fashion industry is so competitive and um, it, it's said to take eight seasons for there to be an ROI that an investor is happy with. Mm. So it's a long investment too. You're more likely to get an investor once you're proving, proven that you're sold. Uh, but we recently have had a client, uh, the male romper, the romp him, mm-hmm. and they did first samples, and then they did an amazing Kickstarter, and they raised over $400,000 on Kickstarter. Wow. So we do have, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. So great. So we do have clients that are successful on Kickstarter, but even still, you've got to have a great video. You've got to have a great sample. They already invested. They, they self-funded to get that perfect sample and to do the sizing and the sourcing of the fabric, and then they did the Kickstarter. And they had a really great video and a, and a great marketing plan. So it, I would say uh, crowdfunding and self-funded is the most common way. Sometimes you can find a business partner that will be the, the investor. Uh, but I wouldn't say like relying on finding an investor to start your collection is the way to go. You, you've got to do the, a little bit of the groundwork on your own show that you have a customer, show that you're making sales, and that if you had more money, you'd be able to make more sales. Yeah. And, okay, so to really get someone on an investment level, um, you need to obviously show, like you said, that you have a product that's actually going to sell. So that makes a lot Mm -hmm. of sense. So um, getting started, okay, so I I save up $20,000 or something. Where are some points along that initial process that I want to be mindful of where I spend and where I try to save. So like maybe, and maybe you've experienced this with clients, like maybe people come to you and they're like, I just spent $10,000 and it wound up 8,000 of it was a waste. Or where are you seeing people like that they could be a little bit more savvy with this, the small little seed of money that they spend a lot of time and energy saving. And then they want to spend it really Mm -hmm. wisely. Like what's some advice you could give on that? Well, I would say the number one biggest cost I see a new designer and it's shifting I think people are learning but 10 years ago it would it would be you'd make a collection you'd make samples and you'd go to trade shows Uh, the trade shows they I don't know they're beginning to catch on and do booths at a lower price point or booths for new designers or group spaces but trade shows cost four thousand dollars and then with the setup and the travel and the hotel if you've got $4,000, I see a way better return if you buy plane tickets and scope out some boutiques that you want to stop by and do FaceTime and show samples to. But trade shows are really expensive. And unless you have the money to do three trade shows, I don't suggest doing one trade show. And even the clients that have that large budget, 
they're doing three, they're doing five trade shows before they're getting a return on that investment and the buyers at the shows are actually purchasing them. So trade shows are a huge investment. Um, but I would say the number one largest investment I see new designers make that has little to no return <laughs> is fashion shows. Mm. Everybody wants to do a fashion <laughs> show and it's great and it's fun and you get to show off and now these people come but there's very little buyers there there's very very little return on that investment so Mm. fashion shows I'd say are the number one because you got to get the space you've got to get the models you've got to get the hair the makeup and the actual buyers from the boutique or the people at the show the people at the show they just want to drink and have fun they're not actually spending money so yeah fashion shows number one number two are trade shows that's some really great um, insights. No, <laughs> I know people fantastic. don't like to hear it. The fashion shows are so fun. Everybody wants to be a designer to have a fashion show. But even like New York Fashion Week, the the real designers, and I went to Paris Fashion Week, the real designers will, will book a showroom, a pop-up showroom, so that the buyers can come to their showroom and see the collection mm-hmm. instead of doing the runway. Mm-hmm. So the runway is really just glamour. It's, 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 I was having a conversation with someone recently, um, a couple conversations with multiple people recently about, you know, the realities of like these photos that you put on your Instagram versus like what's really going on behind the scenes. So you'll get a bunch of Instagram photos, um, potentially at both of those types of events, but you don't get the return that you really need to build a sustainable business. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the trade show thing, I just want to talk about one thing you mentioned. You don't really see a return on that until maybe three to five trade shows in. And so um, mm-hmm. in my experience, my my answer to why that is, is because oftentimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, but buyers aren't going to take you seriously the first time they see you because they don't know, are you really going to deliver? Yep. Is that the truth behind mm-hmm. that statement? Well, yes, they definitely, they want to see that you're serious. They want to see that you're showing up. They want to watch you, make sure you can deliver, do your sizes fit. All of that comes into play with a new designer. But on that, too, like, retail's not doing that great. Mm -hmm. You know, even Nordstrom's and Barney's, like, all of these big, big shows or these big department stores, they're not doing that great. So they're not, they're buying what they know will sell, and they're staying safe. They're not necessarily buying brand-new talent at these shows. They're just going to see the designers that they already carry, and they're buying things that are safe that they know will sell. So I think it's a combination of those two things. Gotcha. And so on that note, then, are you finding that these designers are having better success? I mean, I know you said you'd be better off spending some money buying a plane ticket and going and visiting some boutiques, but are you seeing that even beyond that, are designers having better success going direct to consumer or? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. It's the, the shift, and I, I think we're all seeing it, but I think it's going to be even larger. I was talking to some people in the industry, like after the numbers come back from, from holiday and fall for these big department stores, I, I think that brick and mortar is almost going to be non-existent. You know, people are shopping online, they're shopping on Amazon, they're, it's so much easier and more convenient, especially for the people that don't live in a city, mm-hmm. so they can just have these things delivered to their door. And so then looking down that like path and direction, the direct-to-consumer option, so 
there's still a lot of logistics and work to figure out within that <laughs> yeah. space. It's not yeah. like you just throw up an right. e-commerce website and everyone's going to magically buy your stuff. And so, right. um, I mean, I know you said the uh, the romp him the the male romper project. They, you know, from 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 our perspective, we could look at wow, they just threw up this Kickstarter and did four hundred thousand. But there was a lot behind the work behind the scenes work that went into that to build an audience, to build those people who would then give them money. And so like, what are the logistics you see between people like trying to build their audience, you know, build their tribe for like a really cliche word to get behind their product and to actually buy it? Yes. I, I think that the social media story and reaching out to your customer and building your client happens way before. So with, the clients that are doing the Kickstarter, by the time they launch the Kickstarter, people are already wanting their product. Mm -hmm. And designers will say, well, I don't have samples. How do I have social media? So you create a story and you create a brand and you talk to other affiliate people that have audiences that would be interested in your product and you connect with them. But building the story on social media before you even have a product and, and letting people know who you are, whether that's like with the Rompem, they created a very strong marketing voice and they were consistent with that since day one. And then I have other clients that have a very strong story, who they are, why they launched a brand, um, what their purpose is, and they were very clear on that. So they attracted people because of who they were. So creating a story and, and involving people in the process really makes a difference because you're right. If you just one day launch a Kickstarter and no one's ever heard of you, then how are they going to know that they want your product? Yeah. And so then I love this idea sort of of like, so you're building your audience and you're really talking to them and engaging with them. And I'd love to hear your perspective on, um, well, maybe not, well, I guess perspective, but also just um, thoughts and what you see designers doing and not doing in a relation to understanding if an idea that they have is really viable because I could have an idea that I think is personally great because maybe it solves some some need or problem that I have or I just really like it but figuring out is there really an audience for this is there really a market for this is this something that people are other people are going to be willing to mm -hmm. buy I would say the common mistake I see designers is they'll have an idea but then they water it down because they're trying to please too many people. Mm. So the tighter the audience you can, you can hone in on because that person will be your customer and they'll be your customer forever. But it's when people try and water down their idea to fit in the entire world because they want to please everyone. Then, then people don't really know what to go to them for. And they don't have that um, loyalty in their clientele. So I would say if you have an idea and a lot of designers start something because it's something that they're looking for in the industry or that they can't find themselves and then staying true to that and finding the people that also have that issue is more helpful than, well, I have this issue, but my mom has this issue and my cousin has this issue. So let's just make a product that tries to fit everybody. So staying clear on, on who you are and what, your, what problem you're trying to solve or what you're trying to fill in the market is actually more helpful. And normally if you're seeing a hole in the market, um, sometimes I would say that there's a hole in the market because it can't be done. Where that comes in 
into play is like people are people that want to do one-off custom denim. Mm. There's a reason that one-off custom denim doesn't exist in the industry. And that's because it's really expensive and people aren't willing to pay for all the patterning and the sampling of each and every piece. Mm-hmm. There are, there have been brands that have made that successful, but they have an in-house manufacturing team. So they're not having to outsource the pattern and sample. So you, without knowing that or without talking to a professional, you think, oh, well, I'm just going to do this. Sometimes there's a reason why it's not out there and talking to somebody to figure out if it's cost effective is important. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that up because there's this ad and I won't say what magazine I saw it in, but it's an ad for a bra that is a one size fits all 32A to 36B or sorry, 36D. And I look at that and I go, what woman in her right mind wants to buy a bra that fits everybody? That just doesn't even make any sense. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I've also, um, you know, I've heard designers say, I want to, I want to make a collection that fits extra, extra small all the way through five X. And I, I just think yep. that it can mm-hmm. be scary where you think if I pick too niche of a market, am I really going to be able to find anybody versus if I try to serve everybody? Well, my audience is everybody. So it's huge. I have this huge pool of people to pull from, but when you really try to talk to that customer, they're not going to hear what you you're saying. They're not going to understand what you're saying because you're just too broad for them to even understand you or for them to even care about you. Exactly. So yep. I'm so exactly. glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, we have one client and she does uh, like very classic German wear. She makes grindles and it's, you know, very, very strictly classic. Like people tried to tell her she needed to be more mainstream. She mm-hmm. needed to make it where it could be everyday wear and she didn't and she's been in business now 10 years and she does German fest and she does costumes and she does uh you know at at restaurants that are German themed she does all the uniforms she's very successful and it's because she stayed this is what I want to do so now she's the leading person everywhere for journals in the world Mm-hmm. And that is because she just stuck to this is what I want to do. And she found that customer and they come back to her time and time again. So, yeah, just knowing your customer and being clear on that, you'll find those people and they'll be loyal. Yeah. And figuring out that one thing that you want to do and then doing like a really awesome job at it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's really priceless um, advice and something I think is very easy to convince yourself you shouldn't take. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it's really true. Um, Okay, so those are some great sort of um, thoughts and and overview on, you know, getting started and then figuring out what your product's going to be. Um, and so going a little bit more into like the logistics of actually getting it made and the whole production process, um, I'd love to hear, so I have my idea, we have it really narrowed down, um, and we're going through, let's say initial like sampling and we're getting kind of ready to go through production. So talk to me a little bit about that whole process, what that looks like, how long that really takes and, you know, Mm -hmm. where some of the spots that become really challenging, um, where, where some, some common failure points there. Yes. I would say finding the right manufacturer for your production 
is what is most detrimental. Mm. Uh, and at Bimora, obviously, <laughs> we just find that connection right away. We already know what they can do and what they can't do, what their minimums are. Are they good at 50? Are they good at 1,000? So with our clients, they don't have to worry about it. Their first manufacturer is their manufacturer for life. But for the clients that, or for the people that aren't working with a company to help them, it just takes time because factories, unfortunately, aren't that forthright with what they can do and what they can't do. I'll be, I do a manufacturing tour where I take designers into factories. We did them last Friday. And I tell them, you can ask this factory, oh, do you do leather bags? They'll say yes. Do you do baby clothes? They'll say yes. They will say yes to everything you ask. And I say, you know, and then after we leave, ask me what they really do. Because <laughs> each factory is, they're either good at knits or they're good at wovens. Um, they'll take your leather products, but they're outsourcing it. So you want to, it's just, it's, it's difficult because you have to test it out and you have to have them make a sample and you have to pay attention. If there were a lot of red flags that happened in that sample making process, if they missed a deadline, if they said they could do it, but then they never did it. So finding that right manufacturer can take time. And once you've found the factory and they create the samples, then it's great. You can use that factory forever, but finding the right factory can be challenging. And so is that, um, uh, I mean, I know you do those factory tours. That's really awesome. You do that in New York. Do you do that in Chicago as well? Cause you guys have two, two offices. We do. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Doing a both. And so the one in New York is a little bit different than the one in Chicago In Chicago where we have to rent a van and, and drive to the suburbs and the South side <laughs> and the West side. And, and in New York, we just do a walking tour of the right. Garden district. So. Right. And so, um, I mean, kind of talking a little bit more about local manufacturing and, and these factories in the U.S. Is most of the work you guys do um, U.S.-based? It is, yeah. Okay. So on that note, um, I mean, I, I have a couple different questions on this. I guess we'll start in the, in the order that makes most sense. So you said that that can be a really, really tough process for people to go through. Like, obviously, you um, and your team and company have a tremendous amount of um, – network and resources at Vmora because you guys have been doing this forever. Um, and so you can mm-hmm. help direct people. Okay. This is really the factory that does great at lingerie. This is the factory that's going to do your button down woven shirts. Um, but you know, what's the pr- best process for that? Or it, would it be like flying to a fashion hub and knocking on doors and like pounding the pavement or do you pick up the phone and start calling or like what's the best process if I if I don't even know where to start what can I do to start talking to factories and seeing what's out there that might be a good fit for me well obviously I'm going to say just book a session with me Mora. <laughs> easiest yeah I really is however if you are looking for factories you've got to um there's different lists. Cities provide different lists. There's resources. So just doing your due diligence online and then calling them, emailing them. And each factory, some factories don't communicate via phone because their English is not strong. And some factories don't have email. 
because they're in 1970 still. <laughs> so you just have to try all avenues, calling, yeah. emailing. And then the most important part is if you do get that interview, make sure you're prepared. Show up with a sample, a sketch, a tech pack, your fabric swatches, like have everything ready. Because if you show up and you're like, oh, I'm thinking about doing design, they'll be like, great, come back to us in six months. And then in six months, you may or may not get that appointment again. So making sure that you're ready on your end. And then when you're at the factory, asking to see samples, asking, looking, being observant, what are they working on on their floor? You know, are they working on all swimwear everywhere? Are they working on jackets? So what are they actually sewing at the moment? Look around. They're not necessarily going to show you samples of other designers, but look around and see what's hanging, what they've been working on, um, and really pay attention to your intuition and your gut. Do you like this relationship? Does it seem like something that, because the manufacturer is the most important, it's almost like your business partner. They can make or break you. So you want to make sure that you feel strongly about that relationship. Yeah. Um, and so I think it can be really easy to sort of jump the gun. Like you said, you come up with this idea and then the first thing you think is I need to find someone to make it for me. But in reality, there's a lot of legwork and upfront work you should be doing before you actually go and approach that, as you said, almost business partner, who's going to make this product for you. Um, And so having Mm -hmm. the patience to do that prep work, put together those initial logistics, source your fabric, um, get some, some, a sample made um, and get a tech pack together to even approach the factory so that you're prepared and you look professional. And so what are the logistics of like actually do like, where do I, where would I go to get that one-off sample made? So that would be a sample maker because the sample maker isn't necessarily the production, the person that's going to do your production. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the manufacturer will also develop your sample. So if you're going to see a factory, at the very least, you want to have your tech pack and possibly your swatches Mm -hmm. at the very least. And then they may say, we don't do patterns and samples. So if you get your patterns and samples and send them over, we can do your production. But, um, yes, so there's a pattern maker, there's a sample maker. And, again, we have those on our team. We've got pattern makers and sample makers um, Mm in-house. So uh, ideally, if your pattern maker and sample maker can be under the same roof because then they can communicate to each other. Or you look for a pattern maker, you have them make your pattern, and then you look for a sample maker and you have them make your sample. And then if there's any alterations that have to be done, you've got to go back and forth to get that sample right. Yeah. It's um, it's interesting. I mean, my entire background experience is all in overseas manufacturing, which is um, mm. tends to be different yeah. than stateside, right? And so this is right. where, um, you know, the process, and, I, and I've talked to multiple people about this, but there can be so many different paths you can go down. Like you said, you can have your sample done one place, your patterns in another place, your production done another place. You could have, there's just a lot of different ways you could go about it. You could have more of like a full mm-hmm. package set up where 
your your factory does kind of everything for you um and so it can be tricky to kind of navigate would do you suggest that it, it could be simpler to try to find more like one-stop shop where i mean i know you said sample and pattern making done under the same roof is ideal because there's a lot of communication between those two people that needs to happen um but do you find that logistically or financially it makes more sense to do one versus the other, like find a factory that can do the sampling, that can do the proto, uh, the patterns and the production versus piecemealing everything? Well, it can be more expensive if you're doing it all in one house mm. um, because there is a level of convenience that you're paying for opposed to if you find just a pattern maker and then you're picking up and then a sample maker and then you're picking up and then production and they're just doing production. Like if you're only doing, for example, if you're only doing, if your manufacturer only has to cut and so you're providing them with all of your fabrics, you're providing them with your markers, your production cost is going to be lower. But if your manufacturer is doing your sample and your pattern, a lot of times they're absorbing that into your production cost, so your production cost is higher. Mm-hmm. So... You just want to shop around and look at all the numbers and see what makes sense to you. A lot of times people don't have the availability to be managing all of it. So working with someone that can uh, is beneficial for them. Yeah. So there's, there's just a lot of ways, a lot of different ways that you can go about doing it. Um, but people are doing it every day, all the time. People are figuring it out. Yeah. They're, um, talking to the right people and networking and going to these different shows like it's definitely doable you just have to figure out what's going to work best for you and um you know we have clients that aren't in new york or chicago so they will do their pattern and their sample locally and then their production in new york or chicago Mm -hmm. so there's there's a lot of different ways that you can make it work I wouldn't say that there's one that's better than the other, though. Okay, yeah, just there's so many variables that go into it. You kind of have to assess each situation on its own. Right. Yeah. Okay, and so um, so we're getting through the logistics of making production. And, like, where are we in a timeline here? So let's say I came to you and I had an idea and I just had, like, a rough sketch. How long does it take? And I know there's variables that go into this, but, like, roughly how long could I plan to come – starting with my idea, I just maybe sketched on a piece of paper, really rough mm-hmm. to, okay, I'm ready to go into production. I found my factory and I'm just about to like pull the trigger and say, okay, go make my product. I'd say three months in the sourcing of the fabric, doing the fittings, getting the patterns developed, doing the manufacturing quotes and doing the digitizing grading and then having one of every size. Three months is a good timeline for that. Wow. That's insanely fast. Well, you said if you came to be more and had them hire you and you were hiring us. So, like I said, we have all the sources. Right. We fit you into the system. Right. And what I was going to add, if you're doing it on your own, six to nine months. Okay. That's still pretty fast, though. Um, uh, okay. So, if I come to someone Just like for you. for samples. Right. To, Just for to, samples, right? Yeah. Okay. Right, we haven't actually. But yeah. we're we're to the point where, if I wanted to say, okay, these samples look great, it's perfect. I know how much I'm going to order, and I I know my size ratio and um, or my size breakout, and I'm ready to pull the trigger on production. 
three months, maybe six to nine if I'm trying to DIY it from the, the idea mm-hmm. stage to I'm ready to go into production. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's extremely fast. Um, compared to some other people I've chatted with or some other stories I've heard. That's phenomenal though. I mean, I think that shows <laughs> the value of, you know, working with someone who has the right context, who has yeah. the network, because that can be, that's 80% of battle sometimes is finding the right people and places to get all this stuff right. purchased and done. Right. Where are you going to get your zipper? Where are you getting your labels? What do your labels need to say? What are the, you know, Who's the lawyer you're going to work with to get everything set up? Yeah. Where are you going to get your fabric? How long is the fabric going to take? All of that we've already figured out. So yeah. that's where it saves a lot of time. What am I talking to a lawyer for? Oh, just for your trademarking and okay. setting up your company, getting your tax ID number, okay. making sure that your company name somebody else isn't using. That's something that designers forget too. <laughs> you never want to make labels until you already have that set up. Uh, you never want to launch or get a website until you already have that set up. So that's like number one mm. step is to make sure that you can use your your um, your name and your logo. Your logo can't look too familiar to anybody else's logo, that sort of thing. So. Yeah, yeah. All the little things that you don't really think about. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so so when it comes time to actually make production, how – are people determining how much product to buy and what their size breakout should be? Meaning how many smalls should they buy versus how many mediums versus how many larges? Like how do you help people kind of figure out, should I run 50? Should I run 250 pieces? Like what are some tricks and strategies to figure out that? Well, A is budget. Sure. How much can you afford? So you don't want to put, let's say if you have $10,000, you don't want to spend $10,000 on your production because you want to have enough money to start developing the samples of your next season. So having, excuse me, so having that budget done is really important. And um, who's your market? So if you're doing athletic people, if you're doing uh, teenagers, so you want to set your sizes. If If you're doing young contemporary, you're going to do more smalls and mediums than you are large and extra large. If you're doing uh, more of a woman's, then you'll do more mediums and larges. So um, it depends on your market of what your size range is going to be. And I always, always like to do a smaller production run for that first run and use that so that you can educate yourself to reinvest to do a larger production run the second time. Right. And I would much rather have a designer sell out and that super exciting and they're super motivated and cut and redo a larger production than be sitting on inventory because it can be, it's just like heavy on the designer that they weren't able to sell everything that they produce. So if you sell 250 garments and that sells you out, that's better than selling 250 garments. Only you made a thousand. So I I feel doing that first production then coming back and doing a more educated production because maybe your client's younger than you thought than you thought. Maybe a certain color sold way more than you thought it would. That's it's the best way to see what's actually going to sell is to actually sell, and then you can come back and and make a a better production run based off of that smaller production and how sales went there. So you're almost looking at that first round of production as like 
it's a test, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, because I, you can, we had a client and they worked with a marketing company and, and PR and uh, did all this research and uh, analytics and like had everything. They spent a lot of money and then they launched and they thought their customer was going to be between like 40 to 50. Only their customer was 20 to 30. Uh, so they had to redo all of their branding and their photography and everything. But how are they to know? There's really no way to know that. Even if you're working with the professionals that are going to forecast what it's going to be, sometimes they're wrong. And so maybe it's a matter, there's like a fine balance between like doing some research to make sure you're going about this smart and talking to your audience, but just keeping everything uh, reasonable and then doing the first production run as a test. And and like you said, that's really the only true way to figure out how this is going to go. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of investing all this cash to really do all these analytics and data science to try to estimate something that can still turn out wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I love, I want to reiterate something you said earlier because, um, you know, not only if you sell, let's say, 250 out of 1,000, are you left with those 750 pieces and you're sitting on cash? But you made the comment of that can like weigh really heavy on you as a designer. And so I think there's something valuable to be taken away from that in terms of now you're not just sitting on this cash, but like it's also can be hard to like physically and mentally pick yourself up after that type of a thing, um, just on an emotional mm-hmm. level. Right. Um, versus the high you could get off of selling out 250 when you only order 250. Exactly. Um, and yeah. so being in such a brutal and competitive and tough industry, you know, being mindful of those emotions, uh, because that's sometimes what you need to keep moving forward, um, can really be beneficial towards your success or break your success. Yeah. 100%. A, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just, I like that you said that. So I wanted to reiterate that point. Um, it's not always just about the finances, but it's sometimes about how, how that experience makes you feel and, and can yep. determine whether or not you have the oomph to move forward because it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, is there anything else I missed about, um, the, the whole process that you want to share? Um, anything I didn't touch on that you, you see happening a lot or any last advice you want to give to everybody out there? I think we touched on a lot. Yeah, I would just say that there's definitely a movement in the industry and there is space for independent designers in that movement. People are paying attention to who they're buying, why they're buying, where things are made, which is great for the independent designer that's producing locally. And just to stick strong to their voice and who they are and hustle. (laughs) The new designer has to hustle and not take things personal. Um, you're going to hear no a lot, but you just continue to keep moving, listen to their advice, and keep selling and hustle yeah. as much as possible. Yeah. It's hard work. It's hard work. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yep. Well, thank you so much, Anna. Before we close, um, there's one question I ask at the end of the interview that I'll throw at you. Um, it's a People tend to get stuck on it, so I'll give you a second if you need to think about it. But what is one thing you wish people would ask you about working in fashion but never do? Yeah, I think, again, it would be this idea that it's so glamorous. It's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of hard work. And 
it is doing product development and it's production and you're in the factories. So while it looks glamorous and fun, you have to be a smart business owner. And like I said, again, that budget, that cost line, costing and the timeline is so important. And just being a smart business owner because fashion is less about ego. The really successful designers aren't so egotistical. They've stayed humble. They've morphed through the industry. They pay attention to change. They'll let go of things when they have to. And they're smart business owners. It's the designer that goes in with the ego that I'm amazing. I can, you know, my manufacturers are working for me so I can treat them however I want. And my products can sell just because it's amazing and I'm an amazing designer. Those designers never make it. Mm. You have to stay humble and you have to be smart and you have to be a smart business person. And although it looks glamorous and fun, it, it is work and it is a business and you should treat yourself seriously and treat your business seriously. Yeah. That's great advice. Really, really great sound advice. Um, <laughs> awesome. So where can everybody find you? Uh, our website is vmora.com. So V is Victor, M-O-R-A.com. And then my email is Anna, A-N-N-A, at vmora.com. Awesome. And I will put because all of that. I offer yeah. a complimentary strategy session, 20 minutes that we can talk and, and I can help. I love helping. I love talking to designers. And, um, yeah, that's why I do that free, free little consult for anyone. Um, but, yeah, if they want to bet fantastic and i will put links to all of that in the show notes thank you so much for your time today it was really fun to chat yeah you're welcome learn everything about what you guys are doing and thanks so much for all the great advice you shared um, and everything you're doing for for the industry it's really fantastic thank you for listening to episode 17 of the successful fashion designer podcast if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 17. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. I'll remind you that more ratings and reviews gives me leverage to convince higher value guests to do interviews, which brings you even more valuable content. If you can take 60 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, your tiny bit of help goes towards making the show better for you and everyone. It's super easy to do, and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating. And again, thanks for your help and support.